Hey everybody, this is Kathy Baker. Welcome to Living Forward. And this is lesson three in my series called The Healing Miracles of Jesus Then and Now. And today we're going to focus on this story in the third, let's see, the in Mark two. No, I'm sorry, it's John 9, and it is Jesus heals a man born blind. So I want us to focus today on reactions that people have when they hear some really exciting news. So think of some unbelievable stories of good news, of victories, or or of healings and miracles, or anything that's kind of unexplained. And think about your reaction to that and the reaction of other people because we're going to look at that story today in Scripture. There are a lot of eyewitnesses and a lot of curious people about this healing. And so we're going to dig in to that story and see if we're like any of those people. Um, Helen Keller was born in June of 1880 in northwest Alabama. She was a normal, healthy little baby when she was born, and she could see and she could hear But when she was 19 months old, she contracted a fever. It was probably scarlet fever or meningitis. She survived, but it left her both blind and deaf. And so she was cut off from the world around her. Well, for the next six years, no one really knew how to help her. But that all changed when she was six years old and a woman named Annie Sullivan came into her life. She was first of all known simply as teacher, but Helen's life would never be the same after Annie Sullivan came into her life. In in Helen Keller's autobiography called The Story of My Life, she describes what Annie Sullivan did for her. Here's what she says. I was caught up and held close in the arms of her who had come to reveal all things to me and more than all things else, to love me. See, Annie Sullivan changed Helen Keller's life by offering her love and light. And today we're going to learn how Jesus gave love and light to a blind man. Well, just prior to this healing, uh, we see that Jesus had been involved in this major serious confrontation with the Jewish uh, religious leaders. Jesus had made bold claims about himself and about his relationship with his Father in heaven. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father, and he claimed to be greater than Abraham. Well, the Pharisees had begun to run, and they picked up stones so that they could stone this man to death for blasphemy. But Jesus escaped from them, and somehow he slipped through the crowd. And that gets us to our story today, found in John 9. And we're going to read verses 1 through 41, and I'll be pausing in between different passages, and we will uh, talk about what is going on in, in this scene. Well, so let's begin with verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Well, during that time, it was common for beggars to be at the gates that led into the temple to receive alms for those going to worship. 
Well, this makes it likely that this event occurred as Jesus and his disciples were approaching the temple on the Sabbath. Well, as they passed a man uh, that had been born blind, uh, the disciples became curious about a theological question. Well, we're not told how the disciples knew the man had been born blind, but you know, perhaps that he was a well-known beggar and they knew, all knew his story, or perhaps one of them had talked to him, but they knew he was born blind, and this prompts them to ask Jesus, they called him rabbi, a theological uh, uh, question. And, and so they were asking this, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? Well, the common thought was that any physical disease or handicap was caused by sin, usually that of the afflicted individual. In this case, there was the question of how could the individual sin while in the womb? <laughs> Therefore, it must have been the parent's sin. Well, however, that this was a false premise, and, and it was a wrong view completely of of afflicted people. And so Jesus is going to correct them. But let's look at this question they asked. It's a question about suffering and illness. And it's a question that uh, has been asked now for centuries. Uh, and it raises what C.S. Lewis called the problem of pain. It's a huge problem for many of us. In fact, I think for everybody, uh, by the time uh, that we get to the end of our lives, we come face to face with this problem of suffering. We've all seen suffering. Certainly, uh, when I think of my friends and I think of people that I know, I think of people in our own church and in our own Bible study. I think that suffering is a very personal, real thing. Some of you have lost a child or you've lost a spouse or you've you lost a parent at an early age. Some of you are facing chronic suffering or terminal illnesses, even right now. We're all wrestling with this question, aren't we? Why do people suffer in this world? And the, the disciples were connecting it to sin. You know, why did Helen Keller lose her sight and hearing? <laughs> she was a child. Why are some children born with debilitating diseases and is it because of somebody's personal sin, even either the parent's sin or their own? Well, Jesus gives the answer. And he says in verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Do you see what Jesus did? Instead of focusing on the disciples' misguided question, who to blame for the man's blindness, Jesus invites us to look at how God can be glorified in our suffering. You see what he says? So that the power of God can be seen. Well, in this story, Jesus says the suffering is not related directly to their sin. Rather, the purpose in this suffering of this man is that the works of God might be displayed in him. Maybe we ask the wrong question about suffering. We often ask, why me? Or why did this happen to her or to him? Instead, maybe we need to ask this, God, will you give me strength to fight this battle and to let you shine through me? We might ask, how can I let the power of God be seen in me through this suffering? 
Well, Jesus continues to teach in the next verse, and he's going to tell us where to focus our life. Verse 4, he says, We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in this world, I am the light of the world. See, what he did was he shifted the focus of the disciples on blaming people for sin, for uh, blaming their illness on sin, to focus on living in his purpose. He, he says, I need to be carrying out the task that has been assigned to me. And he indicates to all those around that that's what's important. Not to be worrying about what sin caused what, but to carry out the task assigned to us. Here's how I hear him saying it. People, we need to be about our Father's business. We have work to do. There will be a time when it's too late. Night is coming. But, But while I'm here in this world, I am the light. He's saying, bring the light. That was a sermon he preached in three sentences. It was a call to action. See, he gives us a call to action much like his own call. And see, a day is going to come when our light will no longer shine and when we cannot do the work of God in this world. And he's saying, seize the day. Carpe diem, seize the day. Focus on what's really important, on what you can do in the world. Focus on the light. And then do you know what he does? He goes into action. He wants to demonstrate to the disciples what he means. He is going to show them through his action how to love someone who is suffering instead of figuring out who to blame for it. Look at what he does in verse 6. Then he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. The man was obedient to the words of Jesus. Now, we always like to turn to the action of Jesus. And this one is a bit strange as Jesus spits in the dust, in the dirt, makes a little mud, and then he smears mud into the man's eyes. Hmm, it's so interesting what Jesus uses for healing. And then he asks the man to do something for himself. He says, go and wash. Go wash your eyes in the pool. And the man does it. The man has to take action. Well, only Jesus can bring sight to a blind man out of a muddy mess. Isn't that the truth? You know, Jesus healed people in different ways, sometimes with action, like in this case, and other times simply upon just using his word. The man's obedience, though, demonstrated his faith, and he was healed. There were other cases, there were a total of three cases in the Bible that Jesus used his spit in the process of healing. 
Now, one possible reason for Jesus' use of his saliva has to do with the beliefs of the culture at the time. Several Roman writers and Jewish rabbis considered saliva to be a valid treatment for blindness. So the people of that day knew that saliva had a healing property. So when Jesus used spit... When he, did, he, when he used his spit, he was communicating his intention to heal. So those who were being healed by him would naturally have interpreted Jesus spitting as a sign that they were about to get cured. <laughs> Is that not amazing? See, that's not the first thing I think of when somebody spits on the sidewalk or spits on the ground. I am not thinking, oh, a cure is about to be had here. No, I think it is vile and disgusting. But in Jesus' time, in that culture, they knew that, oh, he's going to make a salve for me. He's going to be using some spit and something else to heal me. Wow, that is so interesting in itself to put it in the culture. Well, this pool then he sent the man to is the pool of Siloam. It was down the hill from the temple. And it was just inside the southeastern wall of Jerusalem. So it was very close to where they were. It was a part of that system that King Hezekiah had built to to collect the waters of Gihon in case there was a siege. So John explains that the meaning of this word Siloam is sent. Well, there seems to be some symbolic significance to this since Jesus could have sent the man to to one of many other pools. But he constantly emphasized that he was sent by his father to do good work. And so this is just a beautiful symbol that Jesus sent him to this pool of Siloam, which means sent. And this miracle itself shows symbolism as Jesus, who is known as the light of the world, restores light to a man born blind. Even in the Old Testament, the waters from this spring were a beautiful symbol of God's blessings that were flowing out of the place of God's God's dwelling, which was the temple. See, all of this was so intentional. I love how intentional Jesus was. Well, now the man was healed, but the conversation continues See, the greatest thing that could have ever happened in this man's life just happened. A divine miracle. (laughs) And now everybody wants to weigh in. Everybody has an opinion. Speculation, doubt, even jealousy and anger. How true is that today? Does, Does everyone always positively embrace our good news? Probably not. In this case, we're going to see what I'm calling a kangaroo court, (laughs) a kangaroo court. We're going to see some foolishness of the most educated and devout Jews. So let's go to court. It is the court of public opinion. I'm calling it to order. (laughs) We're going to look at each of the eyewitnesses and we're going to search for their motives, their understanding or their misunderstanding of this situation. You know, we want to look for bias We want to look for their fears and maybe some confusion. Did they shift some blame? How do they view the blind man? And then we're going to see if we can find ourselves in this situation. If we had just witnessed this or we had just heard about it, 
what would we be saying? Well, we're going to see what happens after this beautiful miracle of healing when people begin to doubt God and doubt the power of Jesus, when they try to find earthly answers to this spiritual situation, and then when they try to trick and trap Jesus because they don't believe him. So our eyewitnesses, uh, we're going to try to picture in this account our neighbors, the blind man, the Pharisees, and the parents. So after the man did what Jesus commanded and received his sight, the man returned to where he lived. Well, I think we can well imagine that this was done with really great joy and excitement. He could see where he was going. Well, his neighbors noticed, and they were absolutely astonished. They could not believe it. Let's look at verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and some said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked him, who healed you? What happened? And here's what he told them. The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, then they asked him, well, where is he now? And the man replied, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, let's look at the neighbors. Listen to them try to understand. They're asking themselves, isn't this the man that used to beg? And is he part of the same old scene that we used to, you know, be around? And some said yes, and some said no. Some said he looks, looks like that person. And finally, someone has the good sense to ask the man himself. <laughs> and so they notice uh, that, oh, okay, all right, he is the same man, but Notice how they preferred to talk to themselves first. They interpreted it all for themselves. They didn't pay actual attention to the man. And then they finally asked the man. Now, let's look at this man that we'll call now the healed man. We want to look at what he said to the neighbors. And so when they ask him questions, he responds so simply. I mean, he says, yep, I'm the man. <laughs> and then they probe and said, well, how did this man open your eyes. Well, he said, a guy named Jesus made mud and he rubbed it in my eyes and he told me to go wash in the pool and I did and now I can see. Is that not just the simple, beautiful story in a nutshell? That's what he did. Well, the man doesn't know where Jesus is, but always, as you will notice throughout this story, this man who was born blind and is now healed represents simplicity and just good old plain truth. He replies to every question honestly and directly. He doesn't get involved in political speculation. He doesn't fall for their theological traps. He only knows that he did what Jesus asked him to do. And he has no idea where this guy Jesus is right now. See how the neighbors are really seeing the man now? He was invisible to them until just now. They did not really see him. Well, these answers were not enough for the nosy neighbors, so they drag him to the Pharisees. Okay, these are great neighbors. They take him to the people who want to kill the healer. Let's read in verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Now, remember the Pharisees are already on the lookout for Jesus to make a mistake. 
They are part of the Sanhedrin. That's the governing body of the Jews. Well, notice now, and the things that they say is that they're not doubting that the miracle occurred. They just doubt that Jesus is responsible. Well, and if he did do it, then this miracle broke the law because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So let's look at how their questioning begins. Well, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so here's what the man said. He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see the simple, plain truth, he said. Well, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, well, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. And then others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Well, let's look and look at these Pharisees. So they the neighbors took the poor man to see the Pharisees. This is that devout group of religious leaders who tended to have everything figured out. Well, the man repeats his same simple story, but the Pharisees begin to argue about the man. And they say, hey, how can he even do this? He healed on the Sabbath. It was like this moment, aha, gotcha, working on the Sabbath. He must not be from God at all. So they're divided. And then, again, someone thinks to ask the healed man himself. What do you think of him, they ask. It's like this afterthought. <clears throat> but the healed man is beginning to get the picture. This guy, Jesus, that I don't even know, well, he must be some kind of prophet. Well, the man is getting it, isn't he? He's getting it, that Jesus must be somebody special. But the Pharisees are still divided. They decide to get the testimony now of the poor man's parents. Off they go. <laughs> Do you know, remember those silent movies when you see action and then music plays as all the characters go in fast motion to the next scene? Well, this is what the episode reminds me of. So it, imagine the music is playing as they run off to, to see the blind man again. We're reading in verse 18. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and now could see. So they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? Well, here's how the parents re replied. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. Well, the parents said this because, it's in verse 22, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. All right, so let's dig in a little bit more about these parents. You know, uh, the Pharisees are saying, you know, maybe the parents will can tell us because maybe this man wasn't even born blind. Well, the parents tell the truth. Again, it's in a very simple form. They say, yes, he's our son, and ask him. He can tell you the truth. Well, they're afraid, so they don't want to shoulder any of the responsibility. You know, so... It, 
in a way, I'm a little frustrated at the parents because it's, it's like they can't speak any more truth. They said, just go ask him. He's a big boy. <laughs> well, so they're, they're not satisfied with this. Those Pharisees are not. And so they begin to speculate and gossip. And I imagine it's going from person to person. They have got to find some more information. And so cue the music. Off we all go again to the healed man. So the second time, they call in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Well, the man replied, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. Well, they asked him, what did he do? How did he heal you? Well, the man exclaimed, look, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, and look at their reaction in verse 28. Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, the man replies, Well, that's very strange. He healed my eyes, and you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone blind, born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. See, this man gets it, doesn't he? Well, listen to what the Pharisees said. You were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Wow. That's pretty disturbing, isn't it? These Pharisees are the ones who are so well-educated, and they're supposed to have the smarts. And this simple man, born blind, who was a beggar, is teaching them. Well, play the Keystone Cop music again, the one that sounds as if they're going in circles. So the Pharisees go back to the man Give glory to God, they shout out. In other words, glorify God, not Jesus. If that's what you're saying, we are in big trouble. See, this man who now believes that Jesus is a very special man, a prophet and one sent from God, has a newfound faith and it is being tested. This man has been cursed, ridiculed, and thrown out of church. You know, we too might experience this kind of scorn as we proclaim good things that God has done. You know, the man, the healed man, has become bolder, hasn't he? He's become stronger. He begins to see things more clearly. And he says, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. And so that, that conversation got really tense, didn't it, when the Pharisees said, how did this happen? The man was so simple. He said, he healed me and I can see. Well, the Pharisees were furious. They are livid that this man is speaking something that they cannot conceive, they cannot understand. They drive him out of the synagogue. Well, you know, when people are up to spiritual hijinks, Jesus knows it. 
He's aware of all the name-calling, the doubting, the undermining, all of it. Jesus heard all about this kangaroo court. He had heard about the court of public opinion, and in his own good, perfect time, he acted. Let's read that in verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, the man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him, and he is speaking to you. The man responded, Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are actually blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? Jesus replied, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Jesus always does a beautiful job with twisting those words around, doesn't he? Jesus moved on without ever waiting to see the outcome. And then later on, he had sought out this man and talked to him about who he was. And the man worshipped Jesus and became a convinced disciple. This is the only instance in the whole Bible where a person who was born blind was healed by the power of God. Jesus asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? And Jesus said, I am the one. And the man believed. With that proclamation, the healing is indeed complete. Did you see once again in this story that there was a physical healing? And then Jesus returned. He returned to the man and made sure there was spiritual healing also. The man born blind sees the world around him with simple and complete honesty. This man born blind sees Jesus. He sees him as the Lord of that world, that he, the one who can bring clarity even out of the mud made from human spit. Well, at the very end of this chapter, the some of the Pharisees begin to see The evidence of that sight is their own questioning. They question whether they can see at all. They ask Jesus, surely we are not blind, are we? Well, he answers again with that statement, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you can't see. They can't see. They're not looking in the right places, are they? The man we read about today gained not only physical sight, but also spiritual sight as he recognized that Jesus was his Lord. Jesus says he came to give spiritual sight to those who think they see, but really don't. As Jesus typically does, he speaks to one person, but the message is really for others. You see, in this case, his message is to the stubborn Pharisees who've who've witnessed the healing. 
You know, I imagine those Pharisees were doing a lot of justifying with their words. They were doing what I call bloviating. <laughs> they were harumphing. You know, they, they were trying to make themselves look much bigger and better than they were. They were saying things like, we can see just fine. I know exactly what God wants from me. I obey all the laws, and God is pleased with that. They all claim to have eyesight, but they are actually the blind ones. They only see the law, and they fail to see Jesus as the Messiah. They let their pride and their doubt and their own spiritual blindness prevent them from trusting in Christ. They are like someone who needs to wear glasses but refuses to admit it. He may even walk into walls and trip over things, but he maintains that he can see just fine. Let's consider today if, if we have a blind spot in our relationship with Christ. Do you fully see him as your Lord and Savior? Or is there something blinding you? Like, are you really not trusting him? Are you still living with worry and anxiety and pride and doubt? Well, the Pharisees are the ones who show disbelief, jealousy, and arrogance. The healed man showed consistent, growing faith. Decide today if you want to be like the man healed from blindness or like the blinded Pharisee. I hope you'll decide never to come, become complacent or self-righteous or spiritually blind as you begin to look at how God is working in your life and the life of others. Vow to be spiritually curious in awe and filled with praise at the wonders of God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you as the God of wonder, the God of awe, we come thanking you for stories like this that affirm our belief that you can do beyond what we think or ask or imagine. We thank you that you sent Jesus to do this work on earth and that you uh, use these stories as examples of people who came to you in true faith. Help us to be more like the man who gained his sight than those spiritually blind Pharisees who thought they all had it figured out. But help us to come to see you for who you really are. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.